Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Good morning, church. Welcome to Easter Sunday service 2015, the first day of winter. Can <laughs> you believe that? Snow and I can't believe it. What we are here to do today is we are here to celebrate what is unequivocally the greatest event in the history of the human race. The impact, the influence, the transformation, the history-changing fact of the resurrection of Jesus, that He is, as the video said, that He is alive. I'm convinced that it would be next to impossible to overestimate the influence of the resurrection on Christianity. And so I want to just talk about that for a few moments in the introduction here. That's not the subject of my message, but it is really a setup for what I want to say. The import of the resurrection of Jesus on Christianity. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there would be no church. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there would be no Christianity. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there would be no New Testament. I am absolutely, fully convinced of that. What we have here in the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, is the perennial bestseller of history. But it owes its popularity, it owes its undiminished fame to the undefeatable life of Jesus Christ. See, if you examine the New Testament, if you would do a read-through of the New Testament and you would look for the messages that were preached and recorded in the New Testament, you know, you would find that every single sermon preached, recorded in the New Testament is a sermon about, guess what? The resurrection of Jesus. All of them have that as their central truth. The message of the first church was really a message contained in those three words. Jesus is alive. That was the message. That's what they went around proclaiming. In fact, let's just go to the first message. Six weeks after the crucifixion, approximately six weeks, after Jesus had died on the cross, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost 
a message about Jesus, about his resurrection. And when he preached that, the church was 120 people, and it went from 120 people, and in that message, it grew 26-fold. It went to 3,120 people in one message, preached six weeks after the death of Jesus in the same town in which Jesus died, and the message centered on the truth, Jesus is alive. Now, isn't it reasonable to assume that the opponents of Jesus, those that had demanded for his crucifixion powerful people, if they could have disproved the resurrection as a myth, they would have done that. And they certainly could have if it was possible. There, right in the city where he died, six weeks after he died, here's this message proclaiming Jesus is alive. But they couldn't disprove it. Several reasons why. I'll give you just a few. Because there was no body. Produce a corpse. Defeat the message. Secondly, what about all the witnesses? I don't mean one or two. I don't mean... 10 or 12, I don't mean a few dozen, I don't mean a few hundred. At one point, Jesus appeared to more than 500 men who at the same time saw the same thing, had the same experience, and their testimony was, Jesus is alive, back from the dead. And what happened was, that message, that central truth, that One ultimate proclamation went out and exploded and it began to move across the landscape and the regions of the world of that day and Christianity really swept over the known world. Why? Well, here's why. Jesus was really alive. That's why. It was a fact of history. Jesus was alive. Folks, Jesus is alive. It is a fact of history. You see, it was the burning conviction that the writers of the New Testament had. I said to you that there would be no New Testament if there wasn't a resurrection. It was the burning conviction of the writers of the New Testament as they recorded the works of Jesus and the words of Jesus that they were recording the truth about the one who had conquered death. That's why they were willing to die for the truth that they were writing. That's why It radically changed their life. They had been spineless, fearful, hiding out following his death. And then all of a sudden, on Easter morning, he appeared to them and they're radically changed. Forever changed. Went to their death saying, he's alive. Kill me if you want. He's alive. I cannot stop telling this story. You see, what they were convinced of is that Jesus Christ got up from that stone-cold slab 
took off the grave clothes that he had laid in three days, walked over the threshold of that tomb, and as he did that, he stepped right on the enemy of death's neck, and he proclaimed the victory as he walked into newness of life. Jesus is alive. That was the truth they proclaimed. That was the truth they wrote about. That was the truth that caused the church to sweep over the Roman world. Resurrection is a fact of history. With that in mind, what I want to do is I just want to draw out some truths that are truths by implication, that are implied from the truth of Jesus' resurrection. What does the resurrection of Jesus tell us? What does it tell us about Jesus? And what does it tell us about his salvation? What does the resurrection tell us or validate about the person of Christ? And what does the resurrection of Jesus tell us or validate about the salvation that he offers? I'm going to give you a few different bullet points under each one of those. First of all, what does the resurrection of Jesus tell us about the person of Jesus? First thing is this. Tells us something about the mission of Jesus. And what it tells us is that he was on mission sent from God. He was a man from heaven sent from God. Matthew chapter 28, 30 and 8 to 40. What I want to do is I want to read you a little dialogue between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus was making some audacious statements and Jesus was speaking in really authoritative ways and doing some incredible works. And the religious leaders of his day came and said, we want a sign, we want proof that shows us that you have the authority to do what you're doing. And here's what Jesus said. I'm going to read you the account. Matthew 12, 38, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, And even in a... An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus said, I'm not going to give you a sign. Your heart is wicked. That's why you want a sign. But there is one thing that's going to absolutely prove that I am from God, I have the authority of God, and I'm on mission from God, and here is the sign that I will give. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, and three days later he came out, I'm going to be in the belly of the earth, i.e. dead, and three days later I'm going to come back to life, and my resurrection is going to be the proof, the undeniable proof that I am on mission from God. You see, Jesus claimed that his mission was to come and seek and save the lost. His mission was to be the Lamb of God that would come and take away the sin of the world, the Lamb that would be slain to pay the price for sin that he would come to defeat sin and death and hell for those who would believe in him. That was his 
stated, very clearly stated mission. So, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, how could he defeat death for anybody else if he couldn't defeat it for himself? But he did rise from the dead. And the resurrection of the dead is the proof that Jesus Christ was on a mission sent by the Father to save the human race. Number two, the second thing the resurrection of Jesus proves is it proves something about the life of Jesus. And here it is, that he was sinless. It proves that he was sinless. Well, how does it prove that? The very fact that Jesus got up from his bed of death, stepped forth from that tomb of death in victory is the proof of a sinless life because the power of sin, Scripture says, is death. The power of sin is death. So a person that dies in their sin, death keeps its hold over their body. That's the power of sin. So if Jesus had sinned, Jesus could have never gotten up off the stone-cold slab of death, taken off the mummified wrappings, and walked out of the tomb that he had been in. He would have stayed dead. But his resurrection proves that he was sinless, which is what the Scriptures affirm in many, many places. That Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God. That Jesus was without sin and no deceit was in Him. He is the only holy, perfect One. That's what the resurrection validates about the person of Jesus. Number three, the resurrection tells us about Jesus, tells us something about His sacrifice, something very significant, and it's this that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father as payment for humanity's sin. The resurrection is the proof that God, when Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice and bowed his head in death and cried out on the cross, it is finished, and gave up his spirit in death, the resurrection proves that the Father said, I accept that sacrifice for sin. I accept it as full payment for sin. Why does it prove that? Because if sin, if Jesus' sacrifice was not enough, if He hadn't paid the full price, then He would have remained where he was, ineffective in his mission. But the fact that the father said, come out of the tomb, my son, is the proof that the father was endorsing the work that the son had done as being meritorious, as being fully sufficient, fully capable. The full redemption price had been paid. The father was saying, I accept that sacrifice. And to prove it, I'm bringing him back to life. It was the proof that the sacrifice was accepted. Fourth thing that it proves about Jesus is that, and here's really the central truth, 
it proves something about the identity of Jesus, and it's just this, that Jesus was divine. The resurrection of Jesus proves that Jesus was God in the flesh. His life, His resurrection is of the same order as the first creation. Let's think about that for a minute. His resurrection is of the same order as the first creation because it inaugurates a brand new creation. That's what the resurrection of Jesus does. It inaugurates a brand new creation, a brand new spiritual creation for everyone that puts their faith in him. That's what the resurrection of Jesus does. And his life historically is transcendent, infinitely transcendent above every other human that has, is, or ever will draw breath. He said this of himself. Just consider this. I could give you many. Consider this one statement. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Who would make such a claim who has made such a claim? I mean, I'm not talking about lunatics. I'm talking about people in the right mind who has made such a claim. I am the resurrection and the life. Who but God could make that claim and then back that claim up by coming back to life? You see, what Jesus' own claims do is they do not give us the luxury of placing Jesus on par with the other, quote, great spiritual leaders of the world. Jesus does not give you that option. It logically, it does not work for you to place Jesus on par with other religious leaders, Buddha or Confucius or whoever. It doesn't even work to place Jesus as the number one in a line of great men of all history. Why? Because Jesus said that I am God and the proof is that I'm going to come back from death in three days. He said that many times. So if Jesus did not do that, then he's not a good man. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. That what he was teaching is not validated. It's shown to be false because he himself said, it all hinges on this right here. My teaching, my truth, the things that I'm doing, the words that I'm saying, the message that I'm bringing, all of it rests upon this one central truth. If I come back from the dead, like I said that I'm going to come back, then it proves that I am who I am. If I don't, he didn't say this, but the implication is there. If I don't, I'm a liar. I'm a fake. I'm a charlatan. You see, the resurrection of Jesus proves that he wasn't merely 
the pinnacle of humanity reaching up to God. It proves that he was the most merciful God reaching down to man. That's what it proves. Jesus said this to his followers, to his disciples. Mark chapter 16, 15 and 16 and 18. But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter said, Jesus, you're the very Son of God. You're divine. And here's Jesus' reply. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, on this truth that you've just proclaimed, the fact that I am actually the Son of God, that I'm divine, on that truth right there, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against my church because of that truth right there. I'm divine. So follow this logic for a minute. If that is the truth, upon which Christianity must rest or else it's a fallacy, it's a delusion. Jesus is a fake if that's not true. He's a deceiver or a liar if that is not true. But if Christianity rests upon that truth, then what is it that proves that truth? What is the event that proves Jesus is divine? And Paul told us in Romans 1.4, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is saying the resurrection is the undeniable, undefeatable truth that Jesus was God in the flesh. That He is the Lord of all of the earth. That's the truth. That's what the resurrection proves concerning Jesus. He's the author of life. God is the creator of life. Jesus, as God, created all things, it says in Colossians, and He had the power of an indestructible life. And three days after His death, He came back to life, defeated death and hell, proving Himself to be who He claimed to be. Second set of truths here is what does the resurrection tell us by implication about the salvation that Jesus offers? We've looked at some things that it tells us about Jesus himself. What does it tell us about the salvation that Jesus offers? I'm just going to give you three things. Number one, it tells us that in salvation, Jesus' resurrection guarantees ours. It tells us, for those who are followers of Christ, that the resurrection like Jesus experienced will be our resurrection. Now, what kind of a resurrection did Jesus experience? Did Jesus' spirit just come out of his body and did he then just kind of float around as an ambiguous spirit, like the little white fluffy guys on the clouds with their little golden bows shooting their little harps like you think about, right, in heaven? No, it's his literal body. 
Jesus' literal body that was wrapped in strips of grave cloths and anointed there with death ointment. It's that body that got up and unwrapped itself. It was the very person in bodily form of Jesus that conquered death, ripped loose the bonds and the chains of death and walked out of that tomb. And the resurrection of Jesus proves that's going to be the kind of resurrection you have. In other words, you're going to be you. You're going to be you. You are actually going to be in a resurrected state, but you are going to be the recognizable, identifiable person that you are with a brand new resurrected body. The resurrection of Jesus, the kind of resurrection he had proves that. And then says in 1 Peter, verse 1, 3, and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Those who believe in Jesus... Through his resurrection, Peter said, you're going to get a resurrection that is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Kept until when? Until you come out of the grave. That's when. Then you're going to get that reward because Jesus won that victory for himself in his resurrection. He's going to win the same victory for you. That's the proof of the resurrection of Jesus. And that is a perfect setup to the next point, and I'll just make a quick comment about it. The resurrection of Jesus tells us about His salvation that it will be glory forever. It will be glory forever. Romans 6, 5 For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And what kind of a resurrection did Jesus have? Here's what the Bible says. It says he died to sin once for all. That death no longer has any hold over him and never can it. He has resurrected to life and is no longer under any control of the law, no longer any under any control of this thing called death. He has risen outside of that control. He has resurrected to an indestructible life. And what Paul wrote in Romans 6, 5 is that the same kind of resurrection he had is going to be yours if you're a follower. That means that your resurrection is going to be the resurrection to an indestructible life. No longer can you come under condemnation. No longer can you come under the hold of the law and death. You are outside of that if you are in Christ. His death becomes yours and His resurrection becomes yours. And then finally, in closing, let me give you one more point. What does the resurrection tell us about the salvation of Jesus? 
I love this truth. It tells us that Jesus' salvation that he offers justifies completely. Makes us right before God completely. Completely in a moment, completely in every moment forward, completely justified, completely right in a perfect standing before God, the holy God, for those that put their trust in Him. Listen, Romans 4.25, Jesus was delivered up for our transgressions. That means He was crucified for our sins, for our transgressions. And He was raised for our justification. He came back to life to make us right, to justify us, to make sure that we would have a right standing, a holy, righteous, perfect standing before God. You see, the believer in Jesus can never again come under the condemnation of the law and sin. It is impossible. Because Jesus took that condemnation for you already. If you put your faith in Christ, the condemnation for your sin, past, present, and future has already been taken by the person of Jesus. So track with me here. If God were to extract that condemnation from you as well, He would be doing it once in the life of Jesus and once in you. And God is a fair, just God. He cannot do that. He cannot condemn you if you have accepted the forgiveness of Christ any more than He could condemn His only Holy Son again. Impossible. Impossible. That's why there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Never can there be any condemnation. So let me illustrate it with a picture. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of the children of God. He accuses us before the Father. So just give me some liberty here and try to picture this scene. I'm going to put myself into the illustration. The scene is in heaven. Right there before the throne of God. And on the throne sits the Holy One of the universe. The Father. And standing before the throne is Satan. And Satan is coming to accuse me. Accuse me of sin. In fact, he's got the evidence. It's not a lie. He has got the evidence and he presents the evidence of my sin. Not just sin prior to my salvation, sin after my salvation. And he presents that evidence to God and he demands that the holy God on the throne condemn me 
as guilty for that sin. And before the Holy Father on the throne lifts the scepter of righteous justice to condemn me, there is one standing or sitting at the right hand of the throne. And this one sitting at the right hand of the Father, he is dressed in robes of majestic glory. And he has a crown on his head, the crown of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And his face is shining brighter than the sun in all of its brilliance. And as soon as the accusation is made and the evidence is presented of my sin, that holy Son of God steps out and He steps in between the accuser, my accuser, and the Holy Father. And He looks at the Holy Father and He stretches out His hands and He says to His Father, Father, do you see these scars in my hands? They are the evidence that I paid for that sin with my life. And the Father looks from His Holy Son to my accuser and He says to my accuser, He is redeemed. He is redeemed. The price has been fully paid. He's redeemed. Satan doesn't like that. My accuser does not like that. And he said, but wait a minute. Wait a minute, God. There's more. There's more. And so he lays out some more evidence. And this time, the sin even looks deeper and blacker than it was before. And again, he demands, based upon the holiness of God and His justice, He demands that I be condemned in that sin. And once again, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Holy Son steps out and He steps in between this accuser of mine and the Holy Father and He lifts up the hem of his robe and he shows the feet that have the imprints and the scars of the Roman spikes that were nailed through them and he says to his father father I died for those sins here's the marks here's the evidence And the Father looks from His Holy Son to my accuser and He says to my accuser, righteous. He's righteous. You see, Jesus had proven that He had taken my sin and given me His righteousness. And the Father said to the accuser, no condemnation, He's righteous. And then Satan, in venomous anger, infuriated, 
just begins to spew this list of sins of which I have risen up against the love of God and the grace of God and abused it even as a follower of Christ. And I'm there witnessing broken over my sin and Satan with a smile on his face demands that I be condemned. And Jesus again steps forward before his father and he opens his robe and he shows where the spear was thrust in his side. And then he lets the robe drop off his back and his back is littered, scar on top of scar from the shoulders down through his legs where they had ripped the flesh off of his back and flogging and he lifts his hair white as snow to show the scars from the crown that was pressed there into his skull as they mocked him and he says to his father, 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 for these sins just enumerated, you condemned me. Father, for these sins, you crushed me, Isaiah 53. Father, for these sins, right here, while I hung in agony, you forsook me on the cross so that I cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Father looks from his holy son to my accuser and he says, faultless, Brad is faultless before my throne. You see, the accuser is silenced. The son is glorified. The father is full of joy, and I am overwhelmed by the superabounding grace of God. That's what the resurrection proves. It proves that my justification is absolutely complete because it rests not in Brad or anything Brad can do. It rests only and fully in the person of Christ and the work that He did that the Father said by the resurrection. I accept that as full payment for sin. Those who trust in Him and Him alone, they are free. They are faultless. They are righteous. They are redeemed. They stand before me holy and blameless, undefiled. Never can they come into condemnation again. That's the truth that the resurrection of Jesus proves. And somebody needs to say amen to that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what we're going to do as we end this, as you've heard the gospel, I've been praying that the Spirit of God, and this is the only way it can happen, church, that the Spirit of God, if you are 
unsaved and lost in your sin would take the truth as I proclaim it and use that to regenerate your heart, to wake you up to the truth of Christ so that you could have the faith to believe in Jesus. I've been praying that that would happen. Maybe that's you as I've been preaching that's been burning in your heart. That's the Spirit of God. He's regenerating you. He's waking you up to the truth of Christ and who He is. He's calling you to live your life for the person of Jesus. To put your trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. 